Welcome to Auckland Conversations, ideas for becoming the world's most livable city. My name is Brett O'Reilly, I'm the Chief Executive of Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development and it's my pleasure to be your MC tonight for this fascinating evening and great culmination to the tripartite economic summit that's been held in Auckland over the last two days. I'd like to uh, welcome the various dignitaries that are in the audience tonight, um, and I'll very quickly take you through the, some housekeeping, and then we'll get into the event proper. So um, over the last two days, we've had a number of people tracking this event using social media. So if you do have a digital device handy tonight, please make sure that it's on silent, um, but uh, make sure you're hashtagging at AKL Conversations, and also the Tech Week AKL Mobile Companion. Tripartite Summit here over the last two days. This is part of an overall um, festival of innovation that we have entitled Tech Week. Uh, by my calculations, there are over 6,000 people participating in that festival um, right across Auckland, across about 50 events um, this week. And so if you haven't had a chance to have a look at the Tech Week website, I encourage you to do that and to look at some of the many other events that we're having um, over um, uh, the next few days. Um, I would like to thank the New Zealand Sign Language interpreters who are on the side of the stage tonight. Of course, in addition to a fantastic audience of over 800 people who have registered for tonight, we have people watching us globally online um, around the world, um, all I'm sure tuned into what is going to be a fascinating conversation. So as I've mentioned, we have held this tripartite economic summit over the last two days with representatives from our most well-established and economically important sister cities of Guangzhou and Los Angeles. We've been delighted to host delegates from all three cities and give them the chance to make meaningful connections with fellow innovators and business experts, as well as getting a taste of the culture that Auckland has to offer. The theme of innovation through commercialisation and connectivity has run, run strongly throughout the summit, and tonight you'll hear our speakers give us real-life examples of how this impacts on making their cities more livable and exciting places to be. Tonight we will hear from Mr Ng Kok Xiong from the Guangzhou Knowledge City Department and Development, Scott Pritchard from New Zealand's Precinct Properties, and our great friend Tom Gilmore from Gilmore Associates in Los Angeles. We'll then follow that up with a pa panel discussion led by Auckland's own design champion, Ludo Campbell-Reed. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with this venue, but if you're not, the bathrooms are just out uh, past the curtains to the right, and in the unlikely event of an emergency, an alarm will sound, and we will be directed out of the building by our ushers and assemble in the plaza area just at the entrance to the building. Auckland Conversations would not be possible without the ongoing backing of our wonderful supporters, so we'd like to thank our partners, Razine and Jib, and thank our programme supporters, Brookfield Lawyers, Boffermiskel, New Zealand, the New Zealand Institute of Architects, the New Zealand Planning Institute, the New Zealand Green Building Council, and M.R. Cagney. It's now my great pleasure to introduce 
the Mayor of Auckland, Len Brown, to talk to you about the Tripartite Summit and the other topics of conversation tonight. Uh, kia ora koutou koutoua, uh, et whānau tamaki makaurau, te iwi o tamaki makaurau, uh, nō rei rā tēnā koutou katoa. Uh, Niman hao, wanshan hao, dāja shau hao. Uh, a particular and special greeting uh, to our guests from Los Angeles, uh, the delegation led by Eric, Mayor Eric Garcetti. Uh, wonderful to see you all, and our guests from Guangzhou, led by the Vice Mayor Wang Dong. Uh, it's been wonderful to have you with us over the last two, three, four, five days, uh, and to share in what has been an outstanding tripartite summit. Uh, over 7, uh, 700 businesses registered, uh, 100 business matchings, plus 300 pop-up business matchings really over the last two days. It's been a stunner but I've been in particular proud of our team, of Auckland, Auckland Inc. and NZ Inc., who have really put this on, and uh, I challenged our community to put its best foot forward, and Auckland, you have put your best foot forward and have shown our guests the very best of our talent, business, ideas, and creativity. I want to acknowledge you uh, and the team uh, that put this together have done us proud. Really a stunning performance to Brett, to Pam, to Holly, to all of those of you in beside and AT and our global partnerships team, the events team, been an outstanding performance. So can we please acknowledge those that have really put together a wonderful hosting for the summit. <laughs> Reflected very briefly on, on the potential business outcomes for our city, but the mood tonight really is, is about what was underlying uh, the summit really over the last two days, and that is the, uh, the sense of the exchange of ideas across three great global cities, Guangzhou, Los Angeles, and this new developing city of Auckland that we are so proud of. Uh, and the exchange of ideas really is talking about the sustainabilities of cities going forward, of how we build our societies, our cultures, our economies, sustain our environment within the framework of broader sustainability. And uh, the summit has provided one or two clues as uh, We have three great speakers tonight, and there will be a good debate and discussion, plus questions off the floor. Uh, and these conversations have been outstanding in Auckland at this time of what is very real transformation in our city. Uh, but um, some, of the, some of the clues for us going forward. Uh, we had Stephen Joyce this morning talking about a favourite Auckland company, Rocket Lab. And this great, uh, amazing company, where Peter Beck, Dr Peter Beck says over the next uh, year, next 10 years, New Zealand will send more rockets into space through Rocket Lab than any other country in the world. And doing it at 5% of the present price of rockets taking satellites to space. That will revolutionise telecommunications and communications, not just in this country, but in the world. Driving around, potentially, in new Ihang, out of Guangzhou-created drone cars. Eric Jong is here uh, to talk to us about this new development. That could potentially revolutionise the way in which we get around. 
We could all be buying online. The challenges around retail, and I've been to retail conferences uh, in our city and other cities over recent years. And the fact that we had VIP.com today who are talking about the massive shift to online shopping. What will that do for our main streets? And how will we respond to that in our beautiful city centres that are presently retail meccas? The confidence or the complete, um, completing of the living lives potentially online. We've had Tom Syndicate, who has been here with the LA delegation, walking around our streets. Millions of people viewing, listening to him online and reading what he's got to say. Are we going to spend our lives in virtual reality? Is that what we can look forward to in 50 years? And how will technology change our lives and the way in which we deal with each other? And lastly, I want to reflect on something that may change us now and go forward, but for those of us who are focused on connectivity and transportation in our cities, you know I am. One of our contributors, Gabriel Layden, this afternoon out of Los Angeles said, government will become an app store. And when he talked about that, he reflected the fact that he has an app for our transport system that shows anyone online exactly where any bus is at any time in the Auckland bus network. And also talks about or shows where they should be, but on the odd occasion, they are not. So there are challenges, and of course we know that in our everyday transport users. These are clues as to where we might be in 50 years' time, 30 years' time, 20, 10 or 5. But whatever. It is the clash and the exchange of ideas that it's hard of this, and we have seen an extraordinary amount of that over the last couple of days. So I'm really pleased to see this lineup tonight. I'm sure you'll engage. It's great to be with you all. Kia ora koutou katoa. So enthused about that that I forgot to do the most important thing. Uh, the fellow walking up here on my left-hand side um, look, he doesn't really need a lot of introduction, but I'm going to introduce him in the way that is appropriate. He's inspiring. Uh, there are some individuals who have been employed in the Auckland Council uh, that really inspire me. And this guy, Ludo Campbell-Reed, uh, who has been really one of the main driving forces uh, for us in the Auckland Conversations and has been an inspiration in the area of great urban design, who absolutely loves his pink cycle way. Um, Ludo has been outstanding for us, and so it's a real pleasure for me uh, to now ask Ludo Campbell-Reed to come up and run this night. Ludo, kia ora. Uh, thank you, Len. It's, uh, it's very flattering. Thank you. Um, good evening, everybody, and uh, kia ora. I'm tonight's um, sort of MC for the, uh, the panel discussion. Um, so tonight's Auckland conversation is really a triple billing, um, three for the price of one. Um, it's about three stories, three cities, and three remarkable individuals. Um, we've, been, we've been talking for two days about cities, um, listening to the mayors yesterday talking about the future of cities, you know, at the moment, 50% of the world lives in cities. Um, they only cover 1% of the world's Earth's surface area, uh, yet consume 70%, 80% of the world's energy, and, you know, and also uh, contribute to 80% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the future of the world will depend upon how we design, how we build our cities. 
And so tonight we're talking about three cities, three stories. Um, and we asked our, uh, our esteemed panelists to come up with a, a conversation based around the following question. What is your vision of how a city will function and thrive 25 years on now, from now? And how is it shaping the decisions you are making today? So first up, I have the great privilege to uh, introduce you all. Uh, Mr. Nkok Siong, which, who's, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Guangzhou Sinao Singapore Knowledge City Investment and Development Company Limited. So um, that'll be from, from now on. Um, Knowledge City is an incredible mouth-watering urban development project that has taken a truly unique approach to building a, a more vibrant and more sustainable place to live, work, and play, as well as being highly attractive to both talent and knowledge-based industries, who are the key customer. The project broke ground in mid-2010, and the first residents are already, have already moved in. Guangzhou Knowledge City will eventually house 500,000 people and provide 250,000 new jobs by 2030, eventually linked to Hong Kong by a high-speed one-hour rail journey. Uh, can you imagine from Auckland to Hamilton or to Tauranga or to even Wellington? But what would it take? So join me in welcoming KS to the stage to discuss his vision of a future city and how his company is achieving it. KS, please come to the stage. Chaos, your mic has come off. Kiora, Mia Len Brown. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, a very good evening to all of you. And uh, I have been asked these questions, what is my vision of how a city will function and thrive 25 years from now? <clears throat> my short answer is, frankly, I'm not sure. <laughs> At, as you know, this is a very difficult question, and, uh, which required me to gaze into the crystal ball and to tell you the future. Nevertheless, in my, in my imagination, the future city should be one that is smart and intelligent, livable with the inclusion of all the historical and cultural elements, eco-friendly and sustainable. And last but not all, always innovating itself. So with this, I'm going to share with you how we are creating the Sino-Singapore Guangzhou Knowledge City, a city for the future. I'm speaking or a consultant, but uh, one that is responsible or assists in the planning, shipping, and building of the GKC. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of this project. How did the Guangzhou Knowledge City, in short, GKC, came about? So it was initiated by the then Party Secretary Wang Yang, who is now the uh, 
Vice Premier of China, who led a 400-strong member delegation to Singapore back in 2008 in the midst of the financial crisis. P.S. Wang felt the need to press ahead with economic transformation from a manufacturing hub to a knowledge-intensive economy. After the initial site inspection or site selection, the Singapore Consortium consists of uh, Ascender Singbridge Group, shortlisted the current location in the Huangpu district of Guangzhou City. Located at the Guangzhou Eastern Scenic New City, the total area for this site is about 123 square kilometer. That is about one-seventh of Singapore size. Developer area is about 60 square kilometer and a planned population of 500,000. We are starting with the startup area, which is about 6.27 square kilometer now. What is our vision? The project will be positioned as a unique, so-called vibrant, dynamic, with dynamic economy and eco-friendly. And more important, we uh, want it to be a place to work, live, learn and play. So in our physical planning, as you can see, we have, we have a plan for one-third of residential and commercial, one-third of business park and industrial, and one-third of open space and amenities. And so you have a very balanced land use for all sorts of uses. A place where talents and enterprises converge. In short, we are creating a platform for all these wonderful things to happen. So, what are the key elements when we build this uh, knowledge today? All right, I think we have identified. The first, obviously, is the, uh, to have adequate provisions for a built environment and infrastructure. Talent is key to any knowledge-based economy. The place must be livable. We must have a good ecosystem for all the industry economic activities that we want to create. And obviously, uh, you cannot go without the government support. So, what have we provided for the infrastructure? All right, I think accessibility is key. So as you can see from the map, We have all the major expressway built around the knowledge city. This is not just on planning, all right? The Guanghe Kaosu expressway has been built. And we are building all this highway around. And this is one of the rare sites that is between the second and the third ring road. If you are familiar with China, you know all the gateway city you can't even find a site that's near the third ring road or fourth ring road in Beijing or Shanghai, all right? So this is one of the germs actually in Guangzhou. 
Okay, these are all the major expressway that's been built around it. All right, second and third ring road. So, other than the expressway and road provisions, we also built around the site, the high-speed intercity rail. All right, as you can see, this is the intercity rail that's connecting the Paiyun International Airport to Shenzhen and to Hong Kong. And when it's completed in 21.8, it only takes us about 15 minutes to the Paiyun Airport and one hour to Hong Kong. And other than the intercity rail, there's also provisions for the subway line, the metro line that is connect, connecting the Guangzhou Northwest City. There will be seven stations and uh, two, of, two of which in the startup area, and uh, it will be completed by end of next year. All right. Now, in short, by the end of 2115, a total of about Renminbi 46 billion have been, has been invested in the real networks, common services tunnel, and all the smart eco-city infrastructure works, thereby laying down a good foundation for future developments. All right, what are all the uh, smart provision that we, we put in? You know, this is part of our infrastructure works. All right, we had uh, initiated uh, quite a fair bit of smart city initiatives. All right, I think we have the, uh, this is one of the first batch of the state level smart city pilot uh, project. We also invited the Singapore IDA to, to do a smart city master plan and uh, smart homes initiative you know, whereby we have three networks converging in every household. And uh, we are also trying to now push ahead with the e-government initiative. But I think this is actually a tall order because, you know, in China, uh, all this e-initiative, you've got to have the central government's uh, uh, approval. But we are trying it on a localised level. All right, we are also... Um, doing the uh, eco-city master plan. So we're trying to uh, do a so-called green building uh, district standards and guidelines. Actually, we uh, engaged the BCA, the Building and Construction Authority from Singapore, to help uh, undertake this project. Um, there are a few projects uh, currently being completed. They already achieved the lead goal standard, actually. Uh, in the GKC, all right? And uh, we are trying to initiate another pilot project, a smart eco-technology demo center, which we are trying to collaborate with a tech giant in the world to build this showcase in one of our business parks as a showcase to all the, uh, our investors, all right, and tenants. Right. We are also initiating this uh, so-called Learning City uh, uh, initiative. This is part of our talent attraction program, all right? So we have this uh, concept of uh, education hub. So we had uh, started this so-called uh, International Joint Research Institute by 
NTU of Singapore and SUT of uh, Guangzhou. All right, and then we have the collaboration from Peking University, Zhejiang, Huawei University, and many other initiatives, all right, international school. When you plan for a livable city or a, a place whereby trying to attract all the talents to come, you have to look after the welfare, their family needs. So the kids' education is crucial. So other than good domestic schools, we are also attracting good international school. Like for instance, we have a Hua Chong uh, Institute from Singapore, Eaton House, preschool, etc. We are trying to, or we are already uh, in the process of relocating them to the Guangzhou Knowledge City. And of course, we also initiated this lifelong learning program. All right, we, we started this uh, CRES uh, program that is the Center of Excellence for Software Transfer. It, in short, it's called a major training class. Actually, we initiated it in NTU in Singapore. We had invited all the mayors from China. We have a training for them. And because of their latest policy, we are trying to move this to China itself. All right. I think this is one of the continuous learning for all the civil servants and all the mayors in China. All right. These are some of the development program. And the next uh, in line, I think I had identified five elements. is the ecosystem that we try to uh, uh, create for, for industry. All the e-initiative um, in the knowledge city. So we are trying to build all the enablers. All right? For instance, just now I talked about the e-government, e-transport, e-health, and e-energy program. And you can see underlying it, the intellectual property rights protection regime and services. This is something very critical in any knowledge economy or any place for innovation. I think, obviously, in China, I mean, in, through our investment promotion effort, we realize the difficulty is to attract all these innovation, innovative company, all the high-tech companies to come to China because they are concerned that their technology will be copied, um, will be pirated, you know, so... This is some area that we must address their concern before you are able to bring all this industry into the knowledge city. So, <clears throat> we are also trying to create an international launch pack. This is actually a, a, a so-called innovation program, you know, from incubating to uh, growing them to, to into an a entrepreneur. All right? I think we created this in Singapore. We are bringing in them into GKC. And then GKC, we also set up this uh, research institute by NTU and SCUT. And we also commercialization of a lot of their research projects. All right? So these are some of the uh, so-called uh, initiatives that we are undertaking. And obviously, the intellectual property hub that we are trying to create. All right, I think in order, not, not just the, the system itself, we also like to let the investor to have the confidence that we are building this here. So we have the IP ecosystem, like the IP court, the patent examination center, trademark registration office, going to be cited in GKC itself. So we do 
to showcase some of the latest initiatives, we, we, we are trying to build this uh, smart loop program whereby we link all the uh, major projects, our health cluster, which consists of the uh, Zhongshan uh, Cancer Research Center, there are three hospitals and R&D labs there. And then we have the Mega Neighborhood Center. This is a showcase of the neighborhood shopping concept, presenter shopping concept in Singapore. And we have the water features and many other initiatives. All right. So these are being undertaken now. All right. Of course, I talk about the government. So government support is important. And what we hope to achieve all right, is to percolate down the to implement the rule of laws. I, you, know, you know, in China, sometimes they, this is an area that uh, is, uh, they are trying to improve, all right? I mean, at times a little bit gray, but I think they have been improving. And uh, we hope that we can have an open and internationalized economic structure and other social program. Okay. So in terms of livability, I think uh, without saying, actually, we have 50% of green space and mountain ranges in GKC. The total area is 123 square kilometer, and uh, out of which we're only building on 60 square kilometer. The rest are mountain ranges, natural terrain, all right? And uh, it will be conserved. And uh, to encourage livability, we are also trying to bring in a lot of social management software uh, collaborations with uh, the, the, the Guangzhou government, all right? So a lot of this program, like Integrated Family Service Center, training, and many others, all right? A city without care and concern is a city without soul, all right? I think so. This is the soft element, the social management element that we try to bring in when we build our city. All right, these are just some of the pictures we are trying to implement. And this is already the parks that we have created. All right, so as you can see, it's a very livable city. All right, and we had, in every planning, we have three strategic overlays. All right, you have the smart, you have the eco, and you have the learning. All right, so these this, uh, are the few dimensions that we will try to bear in mind whenever we roll out our program. All right, lastly, I'll just show some of the software collaboration uh, pictures that uh, have been ongoing with the uh, GDD or Guangzhou government. All right, so in short, these are the five key elements that we try to create for a knowledge city, which is an, actually an innovation hub. All right, talent, livability, ecosystem, built environment and infrastructure, and obviously, government support and policy. Okay, with that, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Cass. Why don't you get a few natural scent? Also, Cass, just on your, uh, would you mind having a few more? Just come off from your air for a bit later. Thank you, Kes. That was uh, incredible. It's uh, mind-boggling, really, the, the complexity of your project. Um, thank you for that. I'll, we'll, we'll, um, Kes, you, you can come and sit down at one of the uh, seats and we'll uh, 
ready for the panel discussion. <laughs> so, next up, I've got a deep pleasure of introducing uh, Scott Pritchard, a sort of a fellow urban collaborator. Um, not only does Scott share the uh, passion for the city that we do, but a passion for surfing, uh, we also share the same hairdressers as well. So, it's a great pleasure to um, introduce him to the stage. Um, Scott is the Chief Executive Officer uh, for uh, Precinct Properties New Zealand Limited. Um, Scott believes that the time is right for Auckland uh, for its resurgence. Um, we couldn't agree more with you. Um, he's really well placed to say that as Precinct is New Zealand's only specialist listed investor in premium A-graded commercial offices um, and property. Um, Precinct own a range of uh, significant commercial properties across New Zealand and have two significant development projects in the pipeline within Auckland, uh, within downtown Auckland. Uh, Commercial Bay, um, probably the largest of the two, and then the Winyard Quarter Innovation Precinct, which uh, Scott's team are, are leading. Um, so, Scott, over to you, and uh, look forward to your... Thanks, Roger. It's not every day you get introduced by another bald man, and he stole my joke. Uh, that's disappointing, but look, um, to the Mayor Len Brown, to distinguished guests, um, uh, thank you for having me tonight. Uh, I'd also like to congratulate Auckland Council and AT uh, for putting in the effort that they've clearly put into uh, the last few days. And I think um, the success of the last two days is really evidenced by the number of people that have shown up here tonight. And, uh, and for us uh, at Precinct, um, what I can say about Auckland Council is that we're very fortunate to have a council that's as progressive in their thinking uh, and as, as aspirational as they are. And, uh, and so from, from our perspective, I think that's been able to foster a huge amount of development. Uh, so tonight, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about, um, I suppose, reshaping our world from a real estate perspective uh, under the umbrella of innovation and knowledge. And look, it's not every day that a, a sort of a real estate person, a property guy, uh, gets to talk to uh, innovation and technology. But uh, the fact is, it's all chasing us down and the impacts of it are really quite significant for us uh, as real estate investors and developers. Before I get into the detail, I thought I'd just give you a quick overview about who Precinct is to provide some context. So Precinct is a specialist investor in CBD-based real estate. We invest in Auckland and Wellington, currently have about $1.6 billion of real estate, uh, but importantly, and as Ludo mentioned, we've got around a billion dollars under development. The majority of that, the large majority of that, is here in Auckland uh, with our two key developments. One at Wynyard Quarter, just behind us here. The second one uh, at Commercial Bay. We don't call it downtown anymore, it's now Commercial Bay, which of course is at the bottom of uh, Queen Street. A large office development as well as a, a really quite substantial new retail centre. Precinct is a publicly listed company. Uh, it's in the NZX20, so it's quite substantial. We have around 8,000 investors, the large majority of whom are mum and dad investors in New Zealand. Uh, so that's very important from us in terms of knowing that we're managing their money. In terms of our strategy, uh, and perhaps our most important strategy, is that we target having a concentrated ownership of assets in really strategic locations. And if you think about the downtown location, we already own the PWC Tower, the AMP Centre, and a number of buildings that are in and around there. 
Uh, we will own a number of assets in and around the Wynyard Quarter and also likewise in Wellington we'll also own a number of assets down there and we think it's that concentration, that clustering of businesses that really provides greater productivity will drive investment returns. We own real estate obviously in Auckland and Wellington with a bias towards Auckland. Uh, we very much have a service mindset. So I think gone are the days where you have a tenant and a landlord. Uh, us, as, a, as an owner of the real, real estate, uh, really has to adopt uh, a service mindset. We provide end-to-end -end property solutions. So we not only do we own, we develop and we manage. And of course, we adopt quite an active management uh, approach. So we, we sell and, and buy. Uh, perhaps most importantly, uh, we provide and look for real estate that offers uh, a technological platform that our occupiers can really leverage. Uh, we offer amenities in and around our real estate that we know that the occupiers of our buildings will really rely on. Uh, and importantly, uh, we'll, we'll, they will use our real estate in a way that other more typical real estate can't be used. And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, shortly because I think that's very, very important in today's sort of real estate marketplace. So look, reshaping the world through, uh, the real estate world through innovation and uh, technology. I've been asked to talk about four key issues. Social and cultural shifts, eco-city and sustainability, information and knowledge, and smart technology. And I'll go through each of those in that order. It just so happens I also think that order, by priority for us, uh, is the importance that we place on each of those. And I think social and cultural shifts, which I'll talk about shortly, there's been an enormous amount of change in the last uh, 10 years or so. So look, that was then and this is now. And I thought this might just be a useful way to sort of put into context some of the shifts that have taken place in an office workplace environment uh, because how everyone works affects everyone on a day-to-day -day basis. Gone are the days where you have a home life and a work life. It's very much an integrated lifestyle now. Gone are the days where a business has an employee for that entire employee's career. In fact, in many instances now, you find 30-year-olds that have already had four to six jobs. That, of course, leads to uh, this term that we've heard globally, which is this war for talent. And we've seen that play out in a number of major cities globally where large businesses are looking for the real estate to really provide uh, a key attraction uh, in terms of them winning that war for talent. The nine to five workday is gone. Of course, everybody now is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Offices moved to open plan, the desk and phone have gone and we now have digital infrastructure and of course F&B and end of trip facilities are all things that really support an integrated lifestyle. Albeit hard to see is actually straight out of a proposal which we made to a major professional services firm recently and really what it was pitching was um, the, the, the benefits of the new commercial base site in Lower Queen Street and how it really deals with those employees in their business and how their approach to life has become incredibly integrated. And so again, we're now putting these types of slides into proposal presentations. On the face of it, what you see in front of you now is a simple floor plate. And uh, it was quite a contrast listening to KS talk briefly about what's happening in Guangzhou. And we're now looking at a floor plate in Auckland. But look, that's the case of where we are in Auckland. What I find incredibly attractive about what you see in front of you is that 
this building, and what that shows you is a typical floor plate in our new office tower, is we've moved all of the lifts and all of the stairs out of the centre of the building. And if most of you think about a building that you might work in, the core, which is where the lifts are and the stairs are, they're all located in the centre of the building. It's all the people are dispersed all the way around the outside. And what's interesting about this, and what really shows the level of innovation that's occurring, is that we've created a square that's entirely unencumbered by structure. And what this means is that you can put a, a high range of different uh, uses on that floor plate. So this is a floor plate that has offices. This is a floor plate that has open workspace. This is a floor plate that uh, isn't what we call today activity-based work style. We're moving from a corporate world to a casual world. And for real estate owners and developers, we really need to adapt. And some of our more recent developments is really uh, responding to that. So the eco-city and sustainability. This is an image of one of the buildings that's under construction right now in Winyard Quarter. It's for Grid AKL, it's the Innovation Precinct. And you'll see on that front face of the building we've got uh, a fully air-conditioned building but we also have large opening windows. And again, this is a, a response to the demands of occupiers now who are looking for highly sustainable buildings and buildings that, uh, that really encourage wellness for their employees. So 10 years ago, there was little focus on sustainability. It was emerging, uh, but through the GFC, uh, the focus on sustainability really dwindled. But what we have seen more recently is quite a resurgence in occupiers seeking sustainable buildings and looking for five-star and green-star rated buildings. And that's certainly what we'll be providing in terms of all of our developments. Staff, where they were once seen as a commodity, they're now very much seen as providing a competitive advantage. And through this term, which we've all no doubt heard uh, of millennials, you know, the millennials are really focused on wellness and the focus on safety. And so the the of the occupiers that occupy those buildings are really having to, to respond to that and provide buildings that are safe, uh, that are sustainable, and that cater to individuals' wellness. Uh, this is a master plan image of, of Winyard Quarter, uh, and this, uh, look, we're really excited by this development. It's a joint venture that we have with De Development Auckland, uh, but we're working in partnership with ATED, and we're really focusing on fostering this environment for the innovation precinct. And a number of those buildings that you see on that slide will enable us to cluster a range of ICT and SME businesses all together, and for really, uh, for them to to try and foster an environment where we encourage ideas. And I think this is a direct consequence of what it is that ATED and Auckland Council are doing, which we think is fantastic. The other thing that's fantastic about this site is that it's not just, um, it's not just a case of all new development. We're retaining three character buildings in this precinct, as well as bringing in really high quality new design. Uh, on completion, uh, you know, this will have about 50,000 square metres of space. And so we'll have, uh, you know, the best part of four or 5,000 people working there. All of these buildings will have uh, end-of-trip facilities. Uh, and so this is now the ability for someone to come to work and, again, to be able to adopt that integrated lifestyle so that they don't need to have a home life and a, and a work life. Again, another, another image of uh, the Winyard Quarter and the Innovation Precinct. Uh, and this shows one of those character buildings which has been retained as well as some new, uh, some new architecture in behind it. So what we had previously was fixed space. 
and what we have to move to now is flexible space with mobile solutions. We had corporate businesses with determined spaces and long-term leases, and the real challenge for real estate developers now is that those innovative businesses are demanding that they need more casual space on short-term leases. And of course, when you're deploying very large sums of capital, that really presents a large challenge to developers. But the fact is, if you want to attract those occupiers, you need to adapt. And so over time, our sense is you will see developers building buildings without long-term leases, but knowing that the product that they're designing is good enough to attract those innovation and knowledge-based businesses. And of course, and I've touched on it already, the, the term landlord is now gone and we're very much a service provider. And a testament to all of that, of course, is the meeting room suite and how people engage. So what once was sit down in a meeting room and have a meeting uh, is now fast becoming uh, sit down in a cafe and have a coffee and solve the solution in a cafe environment. So we're moving to a casual environment. The meeting room suite is now becoming a major focus for any development, and that's certainly something that we're very focused on at, at Commercial Bay and, and Wynyard Quarter. And of course, <clears throat> this is an image of the new Commercial Bay Tower, and smart technology is something that we're really focused in terms of, in terms of this building. But of course, the term building has now gone, it's now an environment, and we're looking to, uh, you know, house uh, employees of businesses and businesses that are looking to really um, not only just go to work and sit at their desk and work all day, again, we're trying to uh, support this, uh, this integrated lifestyle. So where a developer used to provide the base build services, it now provides the building, it provides the digital infrastructure, and importantly, it also provides the amenity for all of those occupiers. Where we had uh, fixed design and we'd say, no, take it or leave it, uh, we now sit down and engage with the occupiers and come up with a design that is adaptable. And as shown by that floor plate that I put up previously, you know, you really need to design things now that can change in the future. Of course, seamless connectivity is critical uh, and that is something that's not just when you walk into your space, it is across the entire environment. And that is something that we're work working on uh, incredibly hard at the moment. And the collection of data is critical. So not only are we developing an office environment, but we're also developing a retail environment. And of course, the collection of data determines every decision that you make. And the habits of shoppers, uh, acknowledging the mayor's comments around retail, uh, retail is moving to an experience. It's less about walking into a store and buying something. It's very much about going somewhere, having something to eat, and while you're there, something catches your eye and you buy it. And that's very much the direction we're heading in terms of our retail. So in terms of Commercial Bay, this large development that we're undertaking downtown, we will be putting in place a digital infrastructure that allows every occupier in that building to hit a button and collect uh, or pick up or uh, affect some type of uh, service that they need, be it, their, be it a taxi, be it their laundry, um, be it the sort of click, click and collect type regime for shopping. So there's, uh, there's the service mindset that must overlay uh, for any occupier in today's market. So wrapping all of that up, the innovation, innovation uh, businesses these days are driving an enormous amount of change in terms of how uh, developers and owners are thinking about their space. It must be flexible, it must be adaptable, short-term leases, it's more casual than it is corporate. Uh, all of those things are things that are challenging us, but we're having to respond. So what's next for real estate?
very big question. And I agree with KS that uh, who knows what the world might look like in 20 odd years. But there's a bunch of things that are happening now that we will need to adapt to. So electric cars, we will no doubt have to provide charging stations throughout all of our buildings. Uh, microchips and retina scans. So at the moment, if I walk into our building, I'll put an access card up to a reader and it'll let me in the door. Well, very shortly, you'll find either something that scans your eyeball or you'll, in fact, have something inserted in beneath your skin. And those are two things that are happening globally at the moment so that you don't have to carry cards. Driverless cars could, in fact, change our game really significantly to the extent that you do not need car parking thereafter because, of course, you will send your driverless car home once you get to work. Modular building and prefabrication is something that has taken the construction world by storm. And, in fact, I visited a high-rise office tower bigger than anything we have in Auckland recently, and 87% of it was built off-site, and it was effectively put together on-site. Uh, and that prefabrication is something that is, is driving the market quite significantly. We've also seen glass technologies, which... Look, it's too early for us to adopt this, but we've seen glass technologies that are completely self-cleaning, uh, which is one thing, but the second thing is that they become a power source, so they attract energy uh, through the films that they put on top of the glass. And if you think about a glass tower that's 40,000 metres in size, suddenly your ability to generate power and reduce energy is, is, uh, is very exciting. And of course, retail, I've, I've touched on it already, but. That is a space that's moving so incredibly fast that fundamentally the success or failure of any retail comes down to the location and the amenity and the drivers that sit in and around it. Most importantly, perhaps, the digital infrastructure that's overlaid. So, our view. Our view is that innovation businesses are challenging conventional real estate thinking. I think there's no question about that. But what's interesting is that, in, in our view, innovation businesses are also leading the more traditional business to be more lateral and to be more progressive. Unquestionably, innovation businesses want to be in the city centre, and the city centre is critical to the success of any city. So cities offer businesses the benefits of agglomeration. I think we're, a, we're an enormous supporter of that view, and agglomeration is really the main reason as to why cities regularly outperform more met metropolitan uh, uh, locations. Cities that evolve undoubtedly outperform cities that don't. And I think we've, there's been evidence of that uh, in, in many instances. It's a little bit hard to read for you, but I think it sums up sort of the view of real estate and, uh, and developers and owners like us which is that technology and social change will drive significant shifts in real estate development, but the benefit of agglomeration will always support the city centre. And that's why Precinct is a specialist in CBD real estate and have a very strong view about uh, the strength of our strategy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. I, I just think you showed very clearly why um, you know you're definitely out, out of the out of a, out of a new mould of CE. Um, you know, someone who thinks uh, very strategically, but also really is is in the detail of really what your customers need. And I think that's uh, something that is is having to change and is a new a new face of, of these organisations. So I found that fascinating. So look uh, to finish up our lineup of speakers. We're absolutely um, on time, which is extraordinary. 
and uh, that's fantastic. So I'd love to, um, I've got the, the real privilege to, uh, <laughs> is it going to carry on, Tom? Um, Tom is a, a really extraordinary guy, uh, a wonderful friend of Auckland, has become a, a great friend of ours. Um, he's, his vision for downtown Los Angeles uh, was single-handedly responsible, I believe, and the team believe, for revitalizing and reviving that part of the, of the city. Um, in many ways, um, Tom brought LA back from the brink. And um, you know, we've got some similar stories we've been hearing over the years of city centers being hollowed out. And um, you, know, you, you saw a future that others maybe didn't see at the time. So we, we'd call Tom a, a, an urban visionary, someone who sees the invisible. Um, his company, Gilmore Associates, bought and redeveloped four abandoned heritage buildings, um, converted them into mixed-use residential and commercial properties, and renamed them the Old Bank District. Uh, it lit the spark for the revival of, of this now highly sought-after precinct. Um, Tom, welcome to the stage. Thank you, Ludo. Uh, thank you, Mayor Lynn Brown. Thank you, Auckland Council. Kia ora, everybody. Um, it's great to be here. Um, I have grown so fond of Auckland, I can't stand it. It's driving me crazy now. Uh, the, the, the thing about Auckland is, is that it's such a wonderfully emergent city. It really has all of the pieces that I've ever seen a great city have, and yet it still has the potential for growth. So I, uh, I've grown so fond of and all of my development is personal. Uh, I, I see development as a, as a personal uh, endeavor. Um, but my interest in Auckland has grown to the point where now we're discussing how I might be able to buy a house here next year so that we can start some development here. But it's a, you, you live in a wonderful city, you should be proud of it, and uh, hopefully you'll keep moving forward uh, in, in the smart way you are right now. So congratulations to you all. Um, so when I say I, I, I keep it personal, uh, it's because it's the only way I know how to do what we do. Uh, cities, cities are this, this great agglomeration of, of buildings and places and things, but ultimately it's about people. And, and, and the people are the lifeblood of this city. And, and so all of us have this, this idea that somehow we're going to have to adjust to, to, to the, the physical changes, the technological changes, the, the aesthetic changes of a city. But what we really have to do is be able to respond to the people of those cities. The, those people are that lifeblood. So let me tell you, before we go to the future, let me tell you a little bit about the past. I'm, I'm here in an odd capacity in that I represent three different things. Uh, I am the chairman of Sister Cities of Los Angeles, ergo my love for Auckland and Guangzhou. Uh, I am uh, the chairman of the Southern California Institute of Architecture and, and started out in the architecture. And um, I am also a developer. I'm a real estate developer. Um, but beyond that, I'm something more. I, I, I have always been and was when I was young a gardener. And, and, and that's what I did for a living. Uh, I was brought up, I was born in Manhattan, in New York, and was moved immediately out to the suburbs because that's what everybody did in New York in 1953. 1953 was the great year that it was post-war America and everybody was moving to the suburbs, leaving the cities for the idyllic life of the little house in the backyard and the dog and a cat and th three young boys in my family's case. So that's what we did. And the cities as, as a, 
consequence of that, suffered quite a bit, uh, but we, that was not my reality. My reality was I lived in a little ticky-tacky house next to a lot of other little ticky-tacky houses that all looked just the same, and there wasn't a lot of great architecture, and there wasn't really a lot of great, great landscape. I was lucky. I had a good family, so I had a nice environment, but it wasn't because the neighborhood was so great. It wasn't because the houses were so great. It was because the people were great. So when I got to be about 17 years old, I left, and uh, I decided I had had enough of the suburbs, and I wanted to move to the country. So I moved to the country, and uh, I started working on a farm, and then uh, after I was working on a farm for a while, I ended up uh, doing some professional gardening. I was a gardener in some public gardens, I was a gardener in some private gardens, and, and that's where my whole view of life was determined. Uh, for those of you who are gardeners, and I hope you all are, uh, Gardening is, a, gardening is a wonderful thing. Gardening is this wonderfully complex thing where we, where we superimpose human conditions on the natural environment. And, and, and there's all sorts of responses that plants do. Some plants live, some die. Sometimes it rains too much, sometimes it doesn't rain enough, sometimes the bugs come. The whole world of gardening is this complex web of interacting forces. And so I fell in love with it, and I saw it as a great opportunity, and I, and I thought, Man, I could do this forever. I could do this forever. This is the most wonderful thing I've ever done. Uh, and I remember my mother uh, at the time, she said, uh, well, uh, Tom, what are you going to do? You know, what are you, you going to do with the rest of your life? And I said, uh, I think I'd like to do this for the rest of my life. I'd like to garden for the rest of my life. And she said, uh, no, I, I think you should do more. I think you should do more than that. And I said, no, no, no I don't. No, I, I think gardening's fine. I think that's it. I think the truth was somewhere in between. I think that uh, she was right, that I did have to move on, but I was right too, because I wanted to remain a gardener for all my life. So our logo, Gilmore Associates, you may have noticed, is, is essentially the garden of the city. This was not something that we came up with. This was actually an illustration in the Financial Times years ago, back in the 90s. And, uh, my business partner at the time sent it over to me and said, you know, this is what you do. And I, and I said, you're right, it is. So I called the artist in London and bought the work and it became the logo of our company because it expressed what I think about cities. So let me see if I know how to do this. Who we are. We, a company, the development company, Gilmore Associates, are just a fundamental string from where I started and when I went into New York and then did the gardening and did the farming and then I went down back into Manhattan and began to study landscape architecture Then I ultimately went to the architecture and then while I was in architecture they asked me to come do a consulting job in Los Angeles um, so I said okay because architecture I don't know for the architects architecture doesn't pay very well so you, you go where they ask you to go uh, so I went to Los Angeles and uh, I was very confused because I had just spent a few years in Manhattan again and, and the, you know, the vibrancy of the city and, and New York was coming back with a roar and it was, in my mind, the greatest city on the planet. It, it just had everything going for it. So when I came to LA, I was expecting, you know, beaches and the Hollywood sign and, you know, all this, you know, laid back world. It was great. And, and so when I got there, it did have all that. It did have the beaches, and it did have the Hollywood sign, the Santa Monica Pier, and all of that. Their downtown, um, because it actually took me almost six months to see their downtown in Los Angeles. Because no one in Los Angeles at the time, this is around 1990, 91, no one in Los Angeles 
had anything to do with downtown. I think Auckland at one point was in the same position where people really didn't deal with downtown much. They dealt with the, the outlying areas. So I, uh, I finally said, where is this downtown of yours? And they said, uh, oh, you don't want to go there. Don't go there. And I said, why don't I want to go there? And said, nothing's going on there. So I said, well, that's not possible. This is the second largest city in America. There's, there's got to be lots of stuff going on here. So, so I finally went down to downtown, and lo and behold, they were right. There wasn't anything going on downtown. Years and years of Los Angeles working with a new notion of how cities were going to work had put in an entire new infrastructure which actually absolutely denied the city and the people within that city access to the rest of the city. So the city slowly, slowly, slowly died, the downtown part of the city. So when I went there, there was this amazing amount of vacant buildings, an amazing amount. Uh, on Spring Street and Main Street alone, there were probably six linear blocks with 12 buildings on each block, every single one of them empty, completely empty. So that when you look down the street, all you saw was sort of, you know, it was always like tumbleweeds were coming through the, the ground. There was nothing, it was trash flying around. There were no people to interact with it other than the homeless, which the city had made the incredible decision that because no one lived down in the city, that would be a perfect place to put the homeless. So what they decided to do was move the, the biggest problem they had socially in the city, bury it into the part of the city that no one was ever going to go to anymore, and seal it up tight and basically create this little lovely homeless Disneyland in downtown, which it ended up becoming, sadly. So my company, I saw these buildings, I saw this neighborhood, I saw this whole area. And because I had come from New York, I knew what a vibrant city looked like. I knew what it looked like when the people were on the street and going to the cafes and having a good time and interacting and having sort of random, random social interaction. And none of these buildings were doing that. And I said, we, we can do this. We can, we can revitalize this neighborhood. We can bring humanity back into this architecture and, and create a neighborhood. So we started with the old bank district, maybe. Maybe we start with the old bank district. Maybe we start. That's what I do at home. Hey, it did work. Uh, <laughs> this is the old bank district. This is the, one of the corners of the old bank district. All of the buildings you can see in this picture um, are part of the old bank district, and every single one of them was empty. Extraordinarily small amount of money on them because at the time, they believed that these were about to fall off the end of the earth, socially speaking and, and urbanly speaking. So we ended up buying most of these for what is effectively $5 a square foot, which is a very, very low price for, our, for uh, real estate, in case you don't know. And then what we did was spend quite a bit of money and quite a bit of time and quite a lot of effort trying to understand what makes a great city and how do you revitalize a dormant city? How do you reconnect the unconnected? So by building these buildings and doing mostly lofts and residential and mixed-use mom-and-pop uh, stores all around the corners, little restaurants and cafes, we slowly began to build the old bank district up. I've got to do it again. There we are. And so now the old bank district is pretty lively. There's all sorts of things going on there. It's a, you know, it's a wonderful place to be. It's growing. Since we started the old bank district in downtown, we were the first investment in downtown in almost 20 years when we started. Uh, it was a relatively small amount of money, but it was the only money coming into downtown because most money was leaving downtown. And um, after we finished this, within the next 
eight years, almost $12 billion worth of investment happened in downtown. Because it, as we all know in the world of real estate, the, everyone follows the money. And at some point when you start to make money, all of a sudden you're a genius as opposed to a madman, which is the way we started out. <laughs> Since then, we've been doing that and that's where my offices reside and that's what we do. And uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, we're constantly looking at new places within Los Angeles to, to begin to also rebuild other neighborhoods that had gone downhill quite a bit. One of those neighborhoods was Chinatown in Los Angeles. China, Los Angeles Chinatown is an amazing place, it's wonderful, but it has been, been completely cut adrift by the rest of the city, and it is only now in these last few years that it's starting to regenerate, and we're planning to do uh, quite a lot of development there as well. But hopefully what we will do is do what we always do, which is to develop with the sense that we're enhancing a community that exists or building a new community that doesn't exist. We have a very odd portfolio. We, uh, we, you know, we sort of follow our nose. This goes back to real estate being personal. Uh, in the case of, this is St. Fabiana's, this is the old cathedral of Los Angeles. In 1996, they were about to tear it down uh, because they were going to move the, uh, the cathedral to a newer, more highway accessible location as opposed to this one here. So they literally had the wrecking ball and the top half of that tower had already been torn off. Um, so I ended up making a deal with the uh, archdiocese to buy that cathedral, uh, which is very odd you know, for a young Catholic boy. We bought the cathedral and I will tell you with absolute honesty right now, we had no idea what we were going to do with it. We, had no, we just knew that it had to be saved. It was in the center of the city. If you go to City Hall, when, when you've been lent, you can see it from City Hall. It's absolutely smack in the middle of the city, and yet it had been abandoned for years and years and years and was now ready to be torn down. So we didn't know what to do with it. We bought it. We thought about it. We, 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 we tried to imagine a city that could use a space like this and an environment that would make this a viable alternative and a viable venue and hopefully a viable economic uh, model. So we ended up restoring the entire thing. We spent uh, quite a lot of money restoring it seismically and everything else. And now it's a pretty nice venue that we use for special events. You may have seen uh, American Idol's finale. It was right in there. We, we film a lot of films in there. We do a lot of weddings in there. Uh, but basically we repurposed the building to reflect the current reality of the, of the population of downtown. The rectory, which was adjacent to it, it took us a couple more years, but we ended up turning the rectory into one of what I think is one of the most popular restaurants in Los Angeles. Now it's called Redbird. But it was another one of those things where it was incremental. We had to do the cathedral first. It had to become real and honest and, and, and link with the community before we could do the next stage, which, which was to build the restaurant and the amenities around that. And so, thank God, St. Fabiana became a, a good venue for us. Then we started to change direction. Something happened while we were doing this. We realized that as we were working on our part of the city, the work that we had begun 10 years or 15 years before had started to generate a new pattern of traffic, not just people traffic, but commerce traffic. And so the, the level of commerce that was going on in downtown was going from here to here overnight. It's actually one of the things I think about when I think of China is that something can go from almost nothing to something grand overnight. And, and while that's a wonderful thing, it also requires that you, that you reboot and that you reset your notion of what is going to be successful and what's not. In our case, what we decided was 
in this particular community, the arts were part of the community. The arts, the artists and the artisans that were part of our original community, they were the lifeblood of our community. And in order for us to be able to continue doing commerce, we were going to have to embed content that, was, that would be immovable within that environment. So while I was in New York, we watched Soho go up, and then we watched Soho become not the artist district it was at all. And we watched Tribeca come up, and we watched it become all about commerce. We watched the Lower West Side, we watched the Lower East Side. All of the great things that made a neighborhood as it became more and more commercially successful. So we had to figure out how to put a lid on commercialism, which is, you know, for a developer, that's almost heresy. But, but the reality is, if you want to do sustainable development, this is what you have to do. So we, we decided to build a Museum of Contemporary Los Angeles Art, and we're in the middle of constructing it right now. Uh, we've taken a lot of the inside of the old buildings that were basement, uh, mezzanine, and areas that were not part of our retail, and we dedicated about 60,000 square feet within the building to build the museum. This, is not, this isn't done yet. This is what's being done. And then what we did was take an old parking garage that we had on the back. A park was built right next to us as part of a land parcel we sold to the city for that park. And then we began to put new structures. And this is where my SciArc piece came in because a great architect, Tom Wiscom, uh, from SciArc, a faculty member there, uh, started to do the, the work for us and create this new model so that we could begin to adjust and get ahead of the curve. Because what I didn't want to do is wake up and say, well, we, we sure made a lot of money, but let's let somebody else do the next part. Let's, let's let somebody else figure out what the next piece should be. What we figured out was that we needed to be back on the front, and we needed to change our own destiny by doing it so. So it worked, and so far, so good. It's working out all right. So what do we know? What we see every day in cities, what we plan every day in cities, is based on what we know today. Um, it, it's essential that one of the things we know is not just about what, what is working today, but what didn't work before and why it didn't work before. And what was not just the physical reality of what didn't work before, but what was the mindset that didn't make it work. And in the case of Los Angeles, it was this. The, this is the only time this thing never had any cars on it. 20 minutes after it was built, it was completely filled with cars, and it was gridlock traffic for the rest of the decade. Um, when, when America conceived of the future back in 1953, America was looking at the exp an expansionist mode. They were not working on a city model. They were working on an expansionist model that was based on the highway, based on the automobile, freedom around every corner, the freedom to drive wherever you want, the freedom to leave your house anytime you want, the freedom to pollute the entire world. And, and to create this system, they basically had to divide through the cities. So every city in America, including Manhattan at one point, uh, was divided by these highways. Los Angeles, because it was the did it better than anybody else. Los Angeles was the car city. It was defined by it. It had started out as a little place where the buildings I own, 1904, 1905, were based on an old Midwestern model, but the new one was based on the 60s model, the 50s model, the interstate highway system. And what it did do was create a city that had a relatively dense 
core, and this is you know, much, much later, this is now, but my, I, you know, have you flown into LA lately? You know when the, when the pilot does that thing where, where he says, you know, we're gonna be landing in about 30 minutes and uh, we'd like you to make your seatbacks up and they start that whole thing. If you're coming to LA, you look out the window and the city has already begun. It is a line of lights that goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's not a line of lights of city, it's a line of lights of single family homes, cheek by jowl, one at a time, boom, 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 boom. Probably the most inefficient use of space I've ever seen in my entire life. And Los Angeles has suffered for that and has suffered by virtue of their addiction to the highway. Does that mean highways are bad? No, highways are fine. But the, but, the, but the implementation of the highway philosophy is something that had to take in something a little bit more complex, like cities. Auckland had it when they dismantled their surface rail, when they dismantled their trolley car. Los Angeles had the most extensive mass transit system in America when they dismantled it. And now we are spending all of our time, let's see if I've got it, putting it back together again. Why are we putting it back together again? Because what we know is this, and we know it in Guangzhou, we know it in Auckland, we know it in Los Angeles. There's not a question whether population's gonna grow or not. There's not a question of should we grow, will we grow. It is how do we grow. We are going to grow. That's the reality of the world we live in, not today, not just in 10 years, not just in 20 years, but for the foreseeable future of mankind. Density will drive this animal. Finally, Los Angeles is rediscovering rail, thank God. So they're making some real inroads on being able to make some changes here and bringing the rail to the airport for the first time. You might want to think about that. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, but look, it took us a long time too. <laughs> we're, we're way ahead of being behind you, you know, so. So we are, working, uh, we are working to connect our rail because these infrastructure things are important. The mistakes we made in infrastructure 30 years ago, 40 years, 50 years ago have to be undone. Some of what we need to do in the future is to undo the past. So the past do we undo? Do we undo the old cathedrals? Do we undo the 1904 buildings? No, you don't. You repurpose those. If you get a LED uh, a certification, I always find funny because it used to take years to get people to understand that by not tearing down a building, you saved energy. And the reality is that if you repurpose buildings, you save an enormous amount of energy because what you've done is taken something that was built 100 years ago and have repurposed it into a, into a new environment. Uh, uh, I've lost the name of the Brit, uh, Brita. Look, you all knew that, that's great. That's a perfect example of, of using the hardscape of an existing location and building and interjecting a new soft urban philosophy inside of it, a new changeable philosophy that enables you to adaptively reuse the building and also let you contemplate the future without worrying about, we're gonna have to come back and tear down this building someday. Maybe. Ah. So, it's a funny question, what don't we know? We don't know anything. We, we, we haven't a clue. We, we, we never have known anything. Most of our planning documents that we do in the city of Los Angeles, it takes us 10 years to build the planning document in the city of Los Angeles, which is precisely the time by which it will be obsolete. So 
So every time we plan, we're planning on today. We're planning for tomorrow based on what we know today as opposed to planning for tomorrow based on what we don't know. So we must, in fact, embrace the notion that we don't know. This is, the, this is my planning mantra. I plan, God laughs. The, the, the name of the game with planning is flexibility. The name of the game with planning is setting forth templates to be able to address the variances that are going to happen. It goes back to gardening. When you garden, if you garden all corn and there's a corn weevil, you lose all your corn, game over. If you garden tomatoes and corn and beans and eggplant and others, you may have a collapse of some part of the garden, but not the whole garden goes away. You may have a, a hurricane, a, a hurricane can knock out half the garden, but the other garden will survive. And I think we need to be able to do that in our planning documents. Our planning documents can't set something in stone that says, and by the way, if this doesn't work, sorry. And that's where we are in LA right now. In LA, we are spending the next 10 years saying, sorry about that whole 50s thing. We, I don't know what we were thinking, we were crazy. And so now, what we have to do is be able to have better information, faster information. The faster information, you guys both touched on it, and I think anybody who's in this business now has to touch on it. Technology information we need. Technology in real time. It's what we do, I don't, do you have Waze here? You know, yeah, so things like Google Maps, things like Waze, all, all of the, the apps and technologies that we're all using as human beings right now, although we are still not the entire population using them. I think that there's, a, there's an economic variance here in terms of who's using technology and who's not. But everybody at some point or another needs to be able to do it because there are two certainties in urban environments. One, population not going down. Two, in most places, no one's growing new land. And that's not a slight at you, Guangzhou, I know. But there is no new land. There is going to be a population growth. There's only two ways to address that. You have to densify smartly, hopefully, and with an eye towards humanity. And then two, you have to be more efficient. Efficiency is the, is the way cities work best. If you can link up so that real-time information is constantly being streamed to users, then you can have an entire transportation system. You can have an entire building system. You can have all of the things that you're doing with your projects in a place where you can respond and react in real time. So that if there's 50,000 people going this way, more trains show up at that place. If, you're go if there's 50,000 people going that way, you can alert restaurants and they can you know, upscale in terms of their, the help. We used to have a restaurant and you never know in the restaurant business. One day there's three people in your restaurant, and the next day there's 300 people in your restaurant and you, you hire accordingly. That's how the point, you know, it's like I'm gonna have six waiters. Ah, we only needed two today. In real time, things change so that you're not wasting as much manpower as much, and as much humanity and as much possible free time as you could. So let me go back to this. The basic human needs. Now, I don't even care what the top ones are anymore because it's, it's about Wi-Fi. And I know this, I mean, someday they'll play this in 30 years and they'll go, <laughs> Wi-Fi, <laughs> that was such a silly little idea. But if you look, probably the most advanced country and city in uh, Wi-Fi is Seoul, uh, South Korea, where anywhere you go in Seoul, South Korea, you're in. You're in, no matter, you can be anywhere in that city. You don't have to link up, you're in it from the moment it starts. 
That Wi-Fi is going to be an essential component of every city plan. If there's an infrastructure that we should be paying for as city officials uh, and as developers, we should be paying to find a way to make sure that everyone is connected from the moment they're in your city limits to the moment they leave your city limits because the efficiencies that are developed for Wi-Fi are, are immeasurable at this point and they can change in real time. We have so hopefully, if we do all these things, if we, if we pay attention to diversity, not just people diversity, but diversity in uses in cities, if we pay attention to density, and not just density in terms of uh, uh, size of building, but density in terms of use, if we make that use available on Wi-Fi, then I don't know what's going to happen in 20 years, but I know that like my old gardens, if I keep it mixed, if I think ahead, if I plan for the unknown, then I have a chance of having a pretty beautiful garden, and, and so do we. Thanks. Well, congratulations, gents. Uh, you are absolutely on time. It's a, a great job, a great job. Uh, thank you, Tom. That was great. I thought the Viviana shot was incredible. Most people sort of gasped when you put that up. Uh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, amazing. Oh, we're off. Uh, are these guys linked up to the... Um, Hello. Oh, there we are. Okay. Quick story about Viviana. No one wanted Viviana. And when the cardinal... I had to meet a cardinal, which was really odd. <laughs> uh, and... He said, you know, I'll sell this to you for $4.6 million. And I said, that's, that's outrageous. I can't pay this for it. That's it. You're about to tear it down. Why would you sell it for 4.6? And he said, that's my price, and that's all I'm going to do. And I said, I will do that deal, but you have to lend me the money to buy it from you. And he went, <laughs> God willing, that can be arranged. <laughs> and so he did. I wonder where the money came from. There's no one there. It was empty. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Interesting one. Look, look, so I think we've just been treated to a real amazing smorgasbord of, of different views and different approaches. And um, I think that was really fertile, guys. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was great, and all, all, all of you, all three of you. So look, what we'd like to do is just try and have a little bit of a conversation, a bit of a debate. And um, what I'd like to do is, is try and throw a few questions at you. And um, perhaps we'll start with uh, KS at the end, and um, who's been sitting there sort of yeah, uh, very, very time, kindly sorry. and quietly <laughs> yeah. watching the other two. But um, the question I, I'd like to ask you is, is, is there one, if there's one single thing that has unlocked the project that you're involved in, what is a sort of a secret for success? Because, I mean, we're talking about common challenges. We're all facing the similar, similar issues. But every city has its different dynamics and different DNA. So what occurred or what was a single issue or opportunity or tool that appeared at the right time that, that unlocked your city opportunity? The first question we asked you when yeah, you did your yeah. presentation. <clears throat> I think, uh, I mean, if we talk about the, the Singapore experience, right, we, I think we had done three or four mega projects like what we have done over the last 10, 20 years in China. Um, I think one of the lessons that we can draw from the, uh, the execution is that there must be persistency. You know, you must persevere 
for whatever objective that you come up with. As a real example, in the project of Suzhou, the Singapore Consortium came up with a master plan, and we have insisted that it must be carried out from what we have planned for. And uh, the Chinese government respected that. And today, if you go to Suzhou, you look at the Suzhou Industrial Park. It's fantastic. It's fabulous. Um, if you compare Suzhou with many other projects in uh, China, I think uh, some of them did not turn out that well because, you know, because it's a party leadership yeah. system. All right. So when the party leader has some great idea, they become master planner. <laughs> so the plan change. <laughs> so, so you can see that the whole execution uh, went haywire. All right. So this is one of the valuable lessons that, that we learned. So when we, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like Singapore. We, we are now still using the concept plan that the United Nations had come up for us in the 1960s until today. We are still following the plan. We improved on that, but the whole skeletons are still intact. So I think we, we are more pragmatic in our approach, and I think we are quite consistent you know, when, when we come to executions. All right, so I, I think if there's any lesson learned, I think persistency and uh, in, yeah, in the execution. Thank you. That definitely sounds like that's a hallmark of you know deliberate planning, yes. dedication over time, following yes. the same path and um, being unwavering in that pursuance yes. of those goals. Thank you. That, that's great. Uh, how about you, Scott? Uh, look, I, th I think for us, um, uh, it was it was it was a series of opportunities that presented themselves, and um, and it was it was very much about being ambitious. And look, uh, New Zealand's not a big place, and, and nor is Auckland. Uh, it's growing rapidly. Um, uh, but one of the things that uh, we thought very early on was that th this was such... Uh, you know, we needed to do it justice. And, um, and so we adopted the same principles of, of, of perseverance and patience, and, and, and we needed those to be able to unlock the opportunity uh, ultimately. Um, but really the, the main focus throughout the whole design phase, which has gone on for four years, has been about uh, making sure that we do something that's truly remarkable for, you know, for our business and uh, most importantly for the city. Right, okay. Great, thank you. Um, how about you, Tom? Well, what's the question? The madman. <laughs> <laughs> From genius to madman, all the way around. Um, yeah, just really, is there, is there a, a kind of key moment that unlocked the opportunity? And you can't say the $5 per square foot, because that's unfair, but, but, but it could be. Maybe that, anyway, I've given you the answer there, I suppose. No, I, I, <laughs> no, I don't, no, actually that wasn't it at all. I think we would have tried to make it fit no matter, no matter what it was. Um, and I'll tell you the story, it's a silly story, sorry. Uh, a few years ago, I was, uh, I was given an award by Donald Trump. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, you can't uh, mention him. Who I have no intention of voting for. I just want to make that clear right now. God help us. And that will hurry up my move to Auckland if, in fact, it does happen. So. It could but happen. I, but I, I, happen. I won the Donald Trump Award. And uh, uh, so he came and he was presenting the award and all of that. And he, so he comes up to me before and we're chatting. And, and he says, uh, Tom, let me ask you. Uh, he says, uh, what, do you, what do you attribute your success to? You know, what's, that, what's the key thing? that?" Uh, and I went, 
Um, and he went, it's because you don't quit, right? And I went, well, no, I, uh, and he goes, you don't quit. You, I know, you're the kind of guy who doesn't quit. And I said, well, no, I, I was really more about, and then two minutes later, he leaves. And he goes up on stage and he goes, I know Tom Gilmore. You know why? Because he's a man who never quits. That's what I love about I was like, so what I say really has nothing to do with what you say. Uh, and while never quitting is, is perhaps the fuel that drives that thing, it's really, um, no, I think it's a dream. I think when okay. you see the dream one day, I, when we went to uh, the old bank district for the first time and just saw that, that, that desolate place, something in my mind saw the lights come on the windows and saw the people on the streets and, and, and you know, I saw the picture. It's, it, it's like it, you actually do have that happen where all of a sudden it's so clear to you that if you can just make that happen, it will exist. And, and so that's what we ended up doing. It was that moment in the street. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? You, um, you talked about real estate being personal. Extremely. Um, it's probably the most personal judgment call you're making in your life, isn't it? Buying a no home question. or or investing, um, apart from getting married or having children. Um, it's those sorts of moments that kind of define you. Yeah. So, uh, My ex-partner um, said that he, yeah, when I said, you know, do you want to do this? And he said, no, no, I have no intention of doing that. That's crazy. And, and he said, even if you're right, this will take 10 to 20 years to come. And, and, and I looked at him and went, yeah. Yeah. Of course it takes 10 or 20 years. What did, what did you think this was going to be? And, and so you have to have that ability to recognize it's going to change your life. You know, it's not just a job. You know. Great. Oh, fantastic question. Fantastic responses. We had, a, um, we had a, a new app being trialed out tonight, which is um, something called uh, was a Tech Week app. And that's the name of it. I'm not sure. But it's, um, it popped up a, a range of questions for some of you, which I've been... Um, <laughs> been given. So you've, 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 all got a, you've all got a question, but I, I guess it's interesting talking about smart technology, and I think this is for all of you, really, is, you know, as a smart city, what steps are being taken in each of your different businesses? I mean, Tom, you talked a little about Wi-Fi, but in terms of what are you doing within your areas or business areas to encourage a, a shift in behavior change? Because at the end of the day, a lot of us talk, we've talked the last 24 hours, and a lot of times we've said to ourselves, we should be psychologists before we are planners because we're dealing with people every day. And so understanding people is, is really the job we're in, or, or not. And I think success is dependent on that. So KS, what, what are the initiatives, smart technology initiatives that, are, that you're using within your development to, to encourage a behavior change and particularly um, to reduce traffic? Because that's the, the big challenge for us all today. I, I think... Uh I'm not so sure I, I can catch up with the <laughs> smart development in China. It, it is moving so fast, so rapidly. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the entire shopping behavior has been changed, for instance. All right? I think uh, now if, the, I mean, I, I used to be from a real estate fund. We used to invest in the shopping center, you know, a commercial property. and. Uh, now I would uh, advise all my friends, you know, from BlackRock <laughs> or Blackstone, you know, to refrain from investing into the commercial property. Why? The entire shopping behavior has been changed. You know, you have the Taobao platform. In, this morning you saw the VIP, the Jingdong. Uh, you know, like for instance, you know, now nowadays when I do shopping, I just sit in my office. You know, I just. Uh, do the uh, booking 
through the platform, through the net, and then you know, it delivered to my home either this evening or tomorrow morning. Some of them yeah. even faster. So, so you all the shops become an exhibition space. You know, the shoppers go there not to buy, they just go there to look at the brand, look at the, 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 the dimension, you know, the, the spec, and then they go home, they book through the net. So nobody go to the retail shop to buy. So the shape is so swift, that, uh, so fast, that the, the entire real estate market has been affected. You know, now there is a huge glut of commercial space in China, all right? Residential is still doing okay because there's some government's policy trying to encourage it, you know. But, uh, so I, I say I'm not sure, all right, because even the automobile, you know, I think this morning, I think you know this Yihang, Derek, he already invented a drone that can actually uh, carry human beings, you know, passengers from one destination to another. So what is going to happen next? I'm not sure. Maybe I will just uh, put a few helipad or whatever, you know, and then I don't need the public transport in future. Yeah. So, so I, I'm also trying to, to, to actually uh, navigate around what is going to happen, you know. But uh, of course, we stick to a certain uh, planning principle, all right. I think just now you have seen, I mean, the, the various dimensions, the, uh, the, the uh, make it livable, make it eco, you know, make it smart, you know, providing the Wi-Fi uh, connections all over. But if you ask me how the entire landscape will shape, I really don't know because I'm also then navigating around. And the, the Chinese government are encouraging, is encouraging the, 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 there's a campaign of innovation, yeah. all right, the mass innovation, mass creation. And this is frightening because you don't really know how the cityscape how the entire real estate is going to shift uh, from now onwards. That's, that's great, really, really intriguing conversation. And Tom. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, <laughs> very high. China, hi. <laughs> Their problem, uh, the, the problem with China is, 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 is this issue of scale. I mean, the, the, you know, what you're working with, you know, I can kind of get my arms around the transition from the landlord to the service provider economy and, and, and the notions of small livable spaces. But when we, when we talk about the new city concepts, uh, the question of scale becomes so daunting and, and there's no precedent for it. There is, you know, I, I can't give you advice from America. I don't think we can get advice from Auckland. And so China is, is, is blazing a new trail. And like all new trails, it's, it's full of, you know, bramble and thorns and, and bumps in the road. You know. How about you, Scott? What yeah, I mean, what about your smart pieces within your... I suppose uh, for us, there's a, there's a bunch of things. I mean, if you think about Commercial Bay, um, it's a mixed-use development, so it's yeah. office and retail, and, uh, and, and going to Kay's point, I mean, uh, retail has got um, some massive challenges, but also some massive opportunities. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we're looking at there which present uh, enormous opportunity. We'll have somewhere between 8 and 10 million people walk through uh, our retail centre once it's complete. And um, you know, placing beacons on signs, and um, you know, basically, uh, you know, sourcing data from every single person that walks through walks through there, and how you use that data is um, obviously a massive opportunity. And so that's something that uh, that obviously we're thinking about, and all owners of retail is thinking about. But 
What I would say is um, for us in terms of uh, you know, a key opportunity and really something that's um, uh, complementary to what we're talking about today is what we're doing down here at Wynyard Quarter, which is uh, you know, a new building which will be built <clears throat> by the end of this year and one new one by the middle of next year. And that's really the start of the innovation precinct. And um, on the face of it, that you know, could be seen as a new building, but in fact what it is is, is this concept of clustering you know, really smart people that have fantastic ideas in the same location yeah. and giving them an opportunity to thrive. And, uh, and you know, the real estate is very much the simple part of that, but the, 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 that sort of fundamental philosophy of clustering, I think, is what's something that Auckland hasn't really seen much of, and we're super excited by it. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. We had a lot of discussions today about Britta Mart as well and uh, how, how flexible their spaces are as well. So it's about building spaces that aren't even permanent. They are adaptable. Let's try it out and make a mistake, move on to the next thing. So you talked earlier about that adaptability, um, that ability to be flexible because of your customers' needs are constantly changing. So that's really intriguing. Um, we've got about uh, someone saying, <laughs> we could go on for half an hour while I'm up here. This is good. Um, okay, I, there's, I think we need to, uh, we've been asked to call it a day. Um, I think it's been a fascinating discussion, um, really could talk and talk for more. And uh, I want to thank you all for really three really great presentations, you know, all quite different, all quite unique, dealing with different scales of the city. Um, so would everybody put their hands together to thank our panellists. Mr. O'Reilly. Thank you so much. Thank you again to the, to the panel, to KS and Scott and Tom. Um, I think tonight you've seen the power of, um, of this tripartite uh, relationship that we have. You know, three cities, very different in some ways, but so similar in other ways. You know, with aspirations uh, to be global cities, uh, with aspirations uh, to deal with growth, with aspirations to be uh, very livable. Um, and uh, for me, that's you know, one of the, the biggest changes that I've seen in Auckland over the last six years. It's been that aspiration to be a truly global city and to be a global city with aspiration. Uh, the man who's really led that uh, vision uh, is our Mayor Len Brown, and I'd like to ask him to come and uh, just wrap us up uh, today and to signal the, uh, the formal end of the Tripartite Economic Summit. The Mayor. Uh, look, I'd like to thank uh, you three gentlemen uh, representing um, the three great cities of Auckland, Guangzhou uh, and Los Angeles. Um, what, what you've really sort of highlighted, each from your own perspectives, is the fact that we all face very similar global challenges of fast-growing, highly multicultural communities uh, that have very, very similar challenges and some very interesting and similar historical backgrounds in the way in which they've grown and now the way in which they're going forward. Uh, I, um, it, it's my uh, sort of bittersweet um, uh, obligation now to call the summit for the tripartite uh, communities, the three cities, to an end. Um, and I do so against the backdrop that we have had two formal summits and one at the start when Guangzhou, uh, Los Angeles and Auckland signed the formal tripartite agreement. This is a historical agreement. 
no other cities around the world as against the backdrop of something like 200,000 sister city relationships. No three cities have formed the power of three. And it's an interesting fact that we each live within about 10 or 11 hours of each other. 10 or 11 hours Guangzhou to Los Angeles, 10 or 11 hours Los Angeles to Auckland, 10 or 11 hours Auckland back to Guangzhou. We are very close to being a perfect triangle in distance away from each other. And I think that that is sort of symbolic uh, in the nature of our cities, uh, the spirit of our cities, our histories, the way we grow, and maybe our futures together. And I think there is a commonality of learnings and sharings and the spirits in our city that cities that should bode well for our futures together as here, uh, not just our business experience and hopes, but also our philosophies. So uh, it's now over to Guangzhou, to those who are in Guangzhou here at the moment, and they, the delegation will remain here until Thursday morning, in particular to Vice Mayor Wang Dong. Uh, the challenge is before you. We look forward to being in Guangzhou next year. And uh, we have lifted the bar this year. I know how competitive the three cities are with each other. Uh, and so we look forward to Guangzhou lifting the bar next year and hosting this tripartite with verve, with passion, with commitment, uh, but also with the sense of a great global sharing uh, driving for our cities and our nations living together in peace and prosperity. Kia ora koutou katoa and good luck to 2017. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast of Auckland Conversations, brought to you by Auckland Council and our sponsors Jib and Resine. For more information, visit our website, conversations.aucklandcouncil.govt.nz. Auckland Conversations is proudly produced by Tandem Studios. 